I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the Melbourne-Sydney rivalry. How real is it? A Sydney cider once said, the last good thing to come out of Melbourne was the Hume Highway. Sydney and Melbourne, the rivalry. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life again. Mr Tardio. Uh, you've just been in Sydney, uh, and, and uh, we're going to talk today about uh, Sydney-Melbourne rivalry. Now, it's been going on for a long time, so much Decades. so, yeah, well, a hundred years, because, you know, <laughs> Sydney or Melbourne couldn't be the capital of Australia because uh, no one would allow it, so we had to get Canberra, a fabricated mm-hmm. city. That's how uh, intense the rivalry uh, was. That, you know, that, that, that happened in Brazil as well. I've been there. They've got a capital which nobody would move to called Brasilia. Yes, it's the worst, right. worst, it's worst, I like Canberra, but uh, Brasilia was this weird place they had to build because nobody would they wouldn't do it in Rio and they had to actually order diplomats to move to Brasilia or they'd cancel their ambassadorships because nobody wanted to why would you want to leave Rio de Janeiro and go to a tin pot town called Brasilia well now, you listen, love Canberra you love Canberra but it's a cold place and mate I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit flippant because I don't know Canberra I knew all I knew in Canberra was the Burberry Hotel um, Parliament House and the airport I had one meal, I think, in three years in a restaurant in Canberra. My life was totally locked into into uh, Parliament House, and that that was what I knew, what I knew and what I lived. And, and, and everybody and talks about the Canberra bubble, which I'm I'm, mm. I'm I'm sure does exist. I mean, how could you yes. possibly know what's happening in the outback reaches of the Northern Territory if you've been in Canberra for ninety percent of the last uh, you know five or ten years? So that how that is true. It, I, well, I was lucky because as a senator, I was on several committees and we, we did uh, public hearings in, uh, in, in Queensland, in New South Wales, in Melbourne, in uh, WA. You know, and so I did get around a fair bit, and, uh, and, but it is, it, is, it is a danger. Look, the Melbourne-Sydney rivalry. I mean, I remember the quotes, and I lived in Sydney long before I ever lived in Melbourne. And uh, the joke was that the last good thing to come out of Melbourne was the Hume Highway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they said. Um, My first trip to Melbourne, ironically, in my life, I flew from New York to Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup, as one does. Um, I get to the Melbourne Cup and I bump into Sir Warwick Fairfax. I was working... I was working for Fairfax in New York at the time, and uh, he was the, and he was the boss. He owned Fairfax. He said, "Oh, Mr. Hedge, nice to see you. What are you doing here?" I would have thought he would be thinking, "How can one of my reporters <laughs> in New York afford to fly from New York to Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup?" But he was he didn't anyway. But uh, and so I'd only ever visited Melbourne once in my life. I've lived in Sydney five or six times in my life. I've been an editor of a newspaper in Sydney. I was quite successful in radio in Melbourne. Uh, I now live in Melbourne, love Melbourne. I just spent, as, as, as we said earlier uh, the other day, I just spent a month in Sydney in a hotel because I was trapped by the, uh, the COVID ban, the border ban. Um, and I, I enjoyed it, but I couldn't wait to get home and go for a walk in the Botanic Gardens as I, as I do on my Goya walks. Uh, 
both cities have things going for them. I remember when I was living in New York, a, a, a Melbourne journalist named Jefferson Pemberthy, what a great name. He, uh, his name was longer than he was tall. Um, <laughs> he, he was trying to insult me. We, we had an argument about something. We were both New York correspondents. And he tried to say, he said, you, 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 he couldn't think of anything else. He said, he said, you, you, you Sydney hard mover. <laughs> that was his best put down as a Melbourne journal. You Sydney hard mover. And I guess that was the, the image, I guess, of Sydney, that Sydney, Sydney was Sydney slickers and Melbourne was more genteel. I, I don't know. Is that fair? Well, I think you're, you're right. I mean, you mentioned Fairfax, and, and it's interesting that most of the, the big industrialists, I think, uh, when I was growing up, they came from Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, BHP's head office was Melbourne. It wasn't in Sydney. Uh, uh, most media in the 70s even, you know, 60s and 70s, I reckon, uh, TV programs came from Melbourne. I mean, you know, Homicide, Matlock Police, Division 4, they were all Melbourne Well, Well, well Crawford's was, ama- was an amazing television factory. Uh, Hector Crawford was amazing what they were putting out here. You know, Cop Shop, my ex fiance Linda Stoner, uh, Cop Shop came out of South Melbourne. You know, they, yeah, it was, it was, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah, and, Most and, live TV, yeah. Yeah, and, and we're talking about cricket as well. I mean, uh, uh, and also the Prime Ministership. I mean, Robert Menzies was uh, a Melbourne person. Um, uh, who's the guy that... Malcolm uh, Fraser, yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was regarded for a long time the Liberal Party. I mean, Henry Bolte, the former Premier, uh, referred to this as the, the group, the jewel in the, in, in the Liberal crown was Melbourne, was Victoria. Um, it's changed so dramatically. I mean, the fact now, I believe um, when there's a state election in 2022, I think that um, Andrews, if he still runs, uh, whatever, Labor will romp it in. Mm. I really do. I mean, uh, the, way that, um, uh, the way that they've handled COVID, I think the way that they, you, you're passionate about this, the hotel quarantine was a disgrace. And the way that Andrews and his government handled it and fudged it and lied about it, in my opinion, was a disgrace. But since then, since then I believe that Victoria has learned. Um, the the government has learned a bit. Uh, I see the Weekend Australian has named Victorians as Australians of the Year. Do you know that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they normally name somebody as Australian of the Year, the Weekend Australian, and last weekend they named Victorians as Australians of the Year because of the way we, we, not defeated, but fought back against COVID-19 and the way we accepted the masks, the way we accepted the curfew, the way we accepted the lockdowns, the way we accepted the new rules. In general, I was very proud of Victoria. It's a way that we said, okay, this is the way it is. This is what we have to do. And we've gone, what they call donuts, of course, donut day after donut day because, and I I remember going last year, going to Sydney saying, they're so cavalier up here. They don't wear masks. They don't do this. It was like going to another country. And 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 New South Wales has had its problems in in, in recent months. Well, I I have in a way, the opposite view, I think, to, to you. I, I look across the border to New South Wales and I see 
a state that's kept its in, a, economy going since the end of April last year. I see a Premier who I think has got a proportionate response to the issue. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm angry here in Victoria, very angry, that um, but for the stupidity of the hotel quarantine and also the fact that we weren't being told how bad our contact tracing was, mm-hmm. all of those issues, there are more than or almost 800 people, 801 people, who died needlessly. If things had been done properly, Darren... Now, they may have died of other things, but they would not have died of COVID because COVID would not have escaped from hotel quarantine. No, no, Tony, I and I'm angry that. about that. Yeah, and you, and you should be. And I, on that angle, I agree with you 100%. I think it was disgraceful. I've said it on, on Sunrise, etc., etc. They hired... The Andrews government hired private security, private security forces who weren't even on the recommended list because they, came, they were an Indigenous company out of Sydney and it looked good and it sounded worthy. That's my, that's my opinion, but it's my very strong view. We hired people, a company that only had 78 employees or something like that, where they needed 50 to 100, so they went on bloody WhatsApp or something to find people. You know, it was a... It had F up written all over it, you know, from day one. And nobody still, despite that multi-million dollar inquiry, nobody has stood up and said, we did it. Well, that's... I, I, I authorised it. Yeah. The Premier keeps saying, and I'm, I'm not a... I've never met Daniel, Daniel Landry, right? But um, if he'd only come out and said, it's my... He keeps saying, it's my the ultimate responsibility. But why didn't he say, yeah, I did it. Somebody had to order well, that... That firm. And that, it had to come from the Premier's office. Well, that that's what doubles my anger even more. We had this inquiry, which I really think was a sham inquiry. Yeah, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't, didn't, the people they didn't interview intrigued me more than the people they did. Yeah, so, so we had that inquiry. And then at the end of the day, the inquiry was unable to find who made the decision. Now... I actually tweeted, and I, do, I, 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 I firmly believe this. What sort of tin pot state would accept an inquiry not finding who made one of the cru- crucial decisions? The, 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 only, the whole inquiry was up, in my view, to find out who did this. And it failed made, to I mean, do that. It cost, it cost 800 lives, and, and yet they didn't... They never it failed to do it. Yeah, didn't it? Said we can't. And, and so it. what we've done now is, oh well, we're not going. We're never going to know. So that's fine. To me, that's not fine. No, what sort not. of they, a they, state they, do we live in that we allow that to happen? And, and you, you sack a couple of public servants and and say let's move on. So on this one, Andrews was totally a thousand percent wrong. I grant you that, and I accept that. All I'll say now though is that since then. Victoria, I think, has done better than most states. Look, I didn't like being trapped in Sydney. I mean, it wasn't unpleasant, but I, I was trapped in Sydney for a month. And, and, and to, 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 to diverse a bit, I, um, I came back, um, I came back uh, to Melbourne. I, brought, I, I quite willingly, people say, oh, how dare, why do you have to have it? I quite willingly went online and got myself a Victorian travel permit, even though I li- I'm a Victorian citizen. I did it because that's what they need. I flew back into Melbourne. I, I got on a bus. They put us all on a bus off the plane, took us to some centre to check our credentials and our addresses and our bits and pieces. Then I went straight to uh, a testing centre in Tullamarine. 
and the people from Melbourne Pathology were fantastic. Uh, you never get out of your car. You're not allowed to get out of your car. But they, they ask you a million questions, which is good, where you've been and what you are and what your health, etc. Uh, you pr produce identification. They did a test, which I'd heard horror stories about, that they stick it so far up your nose, your brain bleeds, you know, which is not true. My, I, I had a, a swab in my mouth for a couple of seconds and then a swab up my nose, both nostrils for about three seconds and didn't fuss me at all. No discomfort. My eyes didn't water. And I, I'm so thrilled that these people are so working so hard. I stayed up that night to see what happened, and I, I was tested at um, about 10 o'clock in the morning. At 10.58 p.m., I got a text saying, Darren, uh, you, are, you are COVID free. Well, your, your experience only uh, emphasizes the, the, the thoughts that I have, and, and, that are, and, and, that, and, and, the, and it's these. If only we had been so professional early on, Mm -hmm. those 800 people would not have died. Now, it's fine and it's great that everything's being done properly now. But other states seem to do it from the start. We mm -hmm. didn't do that. And as a result of that, we had uh, the, the catastrophe that happened, the lockdown that we had, and it was great. Victorians did the right thing. And it's great of the Australian newspaper to, to, to say us, to, you know, to give us the honour of whatever it was that they, uh, that we were Australians mm -hmm. of the year. But somebody must pay a price for the incompetence that happened early on, and that hasn't happened. And, 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 and they haven't even been named. You know, I mean, I, 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 to use an awful American word, druthers. If I had my druthers, do you know what a druther is? No. I've heard it's, the it's word, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's if I had my druthers, it's an um, Americanism for I would rather. Right. Right? Okay. If I had my druthers, means if, if I, I would rather this happened. Anyway, if, if I had my druthers, if Dan Andrews had come out at the start of the hotel quarantine fiasco, disaster, and said, I authorised this to get a private company in, and I was wrong. And I apologise to all those people who've been affected by it and the families who are grieving. He didn't. And he's ducked and weaved over it ever since. Um, and that's where he's wrong, because... I still believe he'll be re-elected, but that he he must wear that because he 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 ducked it, and he and he's the premier. I believe in my heart that he made the call to his department, who then called um, either Sutton or, or or the police commissioner and said, "We're doing it this way. This comes from the this comes from the premier's office." And that's, in my belief, is what really happened. And and what sticks <laughs> in my throat like a big T-bone steak is that that's, uh, we've just been unable to get to the truth of that situation. Now, well, what it cost, $9 million for this, this, that, that um, yes, inquiry? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. You know, a retired judge. Now, surely uh, she would uh, uh, know that uh, it's unsatisfactory that Victorians don't know who made that decision. Yeah, and, 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 and well, the... the Somewhere along the line from the, quote, national um, premiers, uh, national committee, word came out of that, that meeting from, and the only person there was, was, was our premier, Dan Andrews. He sent word to his chief officer, who's now resigned. Um, he must have said, do this. 
nobody. I mean, he's such a. I mean, what I believe, I'm reportedly, is he is an authoritarian and he works very well at it. But nobody would have made that decision without the premier's connivance and, and, and agreement. And it just doesn't make sense. It stuns me. And as you say, and I agree with you, he looks like he'll be re-elected in 2022. It stuns me that Victorians see these guys who are running this state from the former Chief Commissioner Graham Ashton down, who can't remember stuff that they should be able to remember. Mm. That's disgraceful. Absolutely yeah, and, and, disgraceful. Yeah, and phone records and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, back to the Sydney-Melbourne rivalry, right? I have lived in Sydney five or six times. I've lived in Melbourne forever. And I, I shall die in Melbourne or, or maybe somewhere else. But I, well, I, Will I, you be I, buried I, in Melbourne, Darren? No, I'll be cremated. Oh, you can be and, cremated, right. Oh, yeah, and I'll have, I'll have some uh, ashes strewn around Victoria and some will be flown to be strewn in the, in the oceans of Kauai. Right. Well, there you go. That's my plan. Uh, you know, so I love both cities for different reasons. You know, um, Melbourne, I believe, uh, as the hungry hinch and a food reviewer for years and years around the world, I think Melbourne uh, does have better restaurants. Not better. They have uh, great restaurants, and Sydney has a couple, but we have more. I think Melbourne eateries are, uh, en masse are a higher quality. I think Melbourne fashion is better than Sydney. I've noticed this summer being trapped in Sydney that women in Sydney wear skirts much shorter than they do in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Just a pro- an observation. That's an interesting sitting, observation. <laughs> <laughs> while sitting having some uh, sashimi in a window at a little Japanese restaurant on Pitt Street. So did a bit of research. Well, I guess the um, weather makes it... Uh, I mean, uh, the weather would contribute to the shorter skirts, but yeah, also the better fashion here in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne fashion is great. And some of the, Mel- some of the great fashion designers all, all came from Melbourne. Um... I find the the, the international rivalry um, boring, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's pointless. I mean, Sydney has great points. Sydney has one of the two best harbours in the world. The second, the other one is, is Rio de Janeiro. Uh, Sydney has great stuff there. Sydney has worse traffic problems than we have here. Um, Sydney has marvellous beaches. We have some good ones, but they just have them endlessly, you know, endless beaches, and uh, and they worship summer probably more more than Melbourne, Burnians do. Uh, but but Melbourne has some wonderful stuff. You know, we have we have um we have more ga- gardens. I, I said I walk in the bot the botanic gardens botanic gardens every day. But we have parks. I mean from where I live I can walk in Faulkner Park, I can walk in the Botanic Gardens and we're one kilometre from the C B D. It's just the, the, the wealth of greenery in Melbourne is extraordinary and should never be un, never be overlooked. I'm thrilled that, that the, 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 the old forefathers in New York City dreamed up Central Park, which would in those days would have thought, why would they put a big park here with all, when all the skyscrapers are coming? But people had vision, you know, and, and, and the traffic is, is bad in Melbourne, it's worse in Sydney. Um, uh, but I, I, I do. Lo- I love both towns. You know, I mean, I, I campaigned when, years ago against them building what they call the uh, the toaster, which is all, all those um, all those uh, high rises alongside the opera house. I thought they should have left that clean as a park and made the opera house look standalone. But then people like Alan Jones, who bought bought an apartment there, and John Laws bought an apartment there, they were very keen on building these high rises, which I think 
destroyed a bit the look of Sydney. Yeah, I think it takes it takes away from that circular key area and mm. uh, the 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 Opera House, which which alone in the middle of all that with the with the harbour there and the Sydney Harbour Bridge, without that toaster building, would look sensational. The mm. thing about and I agree with everything you've said about uh, uh, Melbourne, uh, Darren. I think if there's one thing that Melbourne lacks, and that is uh, something iconic. Mm. Now, you know, we have pictures of trams and uh, that sort of stuff and the MCG. Uh, but that's not something that someone overseas, for example, in Toronto, Canada, will say, oh, that's Melbourne. You know, the, the Opera House is Sydney. The Sydney Harbour Bridge says Sydney all over the world. We don't have something that says Melbourne that resonates. Yeah, that that, that is true, but um, I've lived in Toronto. Tell me one thing that says Toronto. <laughs> well, one of the most boring towns <laughs> in the bloody world, all right? Yeah, well, you're, you're right. Nothing says Toronto to me. I've got no really? idea where it is, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's in Ontario, all right? Um, it is boring as batshit, you know. When I lived there in the 60s, um, the most, you know, the thing I remember most about Toronto you were not allowed to pick up a drink from a bar table and take it to another table. Why? Because you, you, well, you might um, might interfere with some young lady. It was it was it was a the most the most religiously strict town. You couldn't you could only buy booze from a government agency. You had to write your name and address down every time you bought a bottle of booze. It was just it's a, I know, admittedly this was in the nineteen sixties, but. God, it was terrible. I, I, I worked there. I, I ran a bureau there for United Press International. Oh, which I'll, let me tell you something. Um, um, I was writing about this the other day. Uh, in 1966, I lived in Toronto, okay? I was 22. I'd just been to Jamaica to cover the uh, Commonwealth Games in Kingston. Uh I'm 22 years old. I'm the bureau chief, for some reason, bureau chief for United Press International, a news agency in Toronto. Toronto, as they call it. Toronto. Toronto. And, and I was commissioned, I don't know how it happened, but I was commissioned by Time magazine to write a, an article, a feature article, on a man called Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan was a communications expert who invented the term, and he told me this in the interview, he said the world, because of electronics, is becoming a global village. Right? This is 1966, mm. and he was right. Because of social media, we are a global village. You know, if somebody farts in Washington, the world catches cold. You know, I mean, it's, it's it, it is astonishing. But it's not just a global village for say governments or high-powered no, people. It's for, for fashion, for everything. It's for, for everything. everyone. I mean, for example, recently I, uh, a mate of mine's got a, a jet ski and I uh, had a photograph of myself on the jet ski and I put it on Instagram. My relations in Italy, who my mum had that? to wait, you know, 50 years ago when someone died in Italy, she got a telegram, so-and-so died, a letter will arrive in a week's time. That's how they communicated. They see my, my, me. My, 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 I was living in Canada. My grandfather died. I didn't know for two weeks until my mum sent me a letter. It's astonishing, isn't it? And, and, and you couldn't you couldn't afford a phone call because I, I was earning one hundred and eighty dollars a week, but a phone call three minutes cost twelve dollars. Yes, 
And I couldn't afford twelve. That was twelve dollars of my food bill. I couldn't afford twelve dollars on a phone call. And your mum, when you did occasionally do a phone call, she would write a list of things down to talk about. And you say, "How about no? That's number three. You know." <laughs> <laughs> well, that, all, all now, I know is now, when my parents, on the odd occasion that they did ring, not in the fifties and the sixties, but later, they spent half the time. Oh, I can't hear you. What did you say? <laughs> I can't hear you. Well, well, well when I was growing up. We had a party line, so we shared our phone with somebody we didn't even know. And you pick the phone up, they're talking to somebody. You could hear what they're saying to their friend. Um, it was so weird. I mean, it was called a party line. It was, it was a shared phone line. Yes, uh, it's, the world has <laughs> Marshall, just changed. Hey, let me tell you about Marshall McLuhan. I mean, I'm, I'm 22. I don't know what, I'm writing a piece for Time magazine. Shows you how good they were in those days. We're talking about fake news and fact-checking and stuff like that as journalists. I wrote this piece about Marshall McLuhan. I interviewed him in Toronto. And uh, I ref- he's a very tall, skinny man, right? I referred to him as Lanky in my introduction, the Lanky philosopher, right? The Time magazine fact checker called me and said, how tall is he and what does he weigh? <laughs> And I said, why? I said, well, you called him lanky. I said, he was fucking lanky, you know. But they were so strict yes. that if I called him lanky, he had to be six foot two and weigh 90 pounds. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, but that, I was impressed by that. It was just so... Well, you know what that tells me? The, 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 the resources that the Time magazine had to be able had. to do all that sort of stuff, uh, mm. which, which I don't think would be the case now. I'm no. interested well, well, in there's that a new, there's, a new, there's a new thing called Scope, which I, I must subscribe to. They are fact-checkers. You know, they, they worked overtime on Donald Trump's uh, lies, but um, it's called Scope, and they actually do check the facts, and they check Biden as well. It's not, it's not, not, it's not, it's not political. They, anything that's said on Twitter or Facebook or in speeches, they scope. It's called uh, scope or scopes. They actually check it out and say, is it true? Well, that's a that's a good thing because never have facts been more important than they are now. Darren, I'm interested in that word you use. Now, I've never heard what? this word. In Internecine. 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 Mm. Now, now, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, it means it means um, oh, it's like something like Pauline Hanson. What does it mean? Uh, and and it, it, means warfare means between between international warfare means between close friends, between family, right. between friends, between political parties. Internecine, yeah. Right. It's a it's a very good word. I'll never forget that. <laughs> now, now, Darren, just let's wrap up Melbourne Sydney rivalry because there's something else I wanted to uh, to, to bring mm. up. So so you. Um, you would prefer to live in Melbourne? Uh, no, I, I prefer where I am, uh, and uh, I, I realise now that I will call it stumps in Melbourne. I never dreamed that would happen decades ago. I thought I'd die and live in New York or Sydney or whatever, but, but this is my home, uh, and it's very precious to me. Uh, the, the house I'm living the apartment I live in, the view I have of the CBD, I'm very lucky in that way. Uh, this is where I'll cark it. I look around my room and all my books and my paintings and stuff. Uh, but this is where this is where Hinch will uh, will, will 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 fade out. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, but but I still I love Sydney. I mean I, I go there all the time. Um, I plan to, um, to, to I, I, I spend a month there. I pl- I plan to spend uh, uh, some time there in, in February. Uh, yeah, 
both both cities excite me, you know. Um, but, but but my favourite place in the world is still a little, little town called Hanalei in Kauai. That's right. where I. That's why I said that's where I'll spread sprinkle my ashes, or somebody will sprinkle my ashes. I won't. I'll be gone. Uh, that that's what will happen. Well, I want to I want to find out a little bit more about that little town in another podcast. But uh, yeah. I, I wanted to mention hey, that's, that, that's good. That's a good podcast about um, Hawaii is the most amazing place. There's a James Missioner wrote a book called Hawaii, which is worth a read. I read it 40, 50 years ago. Never dreaming I'd own property there, but. Uh, yeah, we'll do a topic. We'll do, we'll do one of those. Well, I, I, I landed there as a stopover and I looked out the window of the aeroplane and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you, you see all that and you think, oh, I want to get out there, but I couldn't and uh, frustrated about that because we were flying back from Los Angeles to, uh, to, to Melbourne. The death of Larry King. Uh, Darren, I, I wanted to, uh, to, to, to mark that. Uh, 87 years old. He was a media icon of the United States. Uh, wonderful interviewer, I thought. What did you think? I adored him. I adored him. He's one of the best. Uh, he, he did for braces what nobody else could do. But he <laughs> was... Larry King was one of the cleverest interviewers because people criticise him sometimes saying, oh, he's being soft with them, he's not being aggressive. But he drew stuff out of people that that others wouldn't get, you know. Uh, He he relaxed them and he talked to them and he talked with them, not at them, and it was just brilliant. And, uh, I mean, he interviewed presidents, he interviewed the Dalai Lama, I think he interviewed the uh, Ayatollah. Uh, He... He, I, I admired him immensely. He, he, he interviewed the world, you know, and he did that on, mainly on CNN for about 35 years. You know? um, God, he even interviewed the Muppets, you know, and, and, and uh, I think um, uh, they wore braces just to, in his honour on, <laughs> on that interview. They, they put braces on. Now, I thought, I thought Larry King was... Uh, was a brilliant journal. He started out as a, a young radio man, as I understand it, and uh, and then he, he wrote a column for, for years. He wrote a column, I think, for, for uh, USA Today. He wrote this sort of whimsical, not whimsical, wrong word, um, really um, stream of consciousness uh, column for years and years. And then CNN picked him up, and the original owner of CNN um, said that Larry King was the, was, was the king of interviewers, and and he wasn't exaggerating. He he, to my mind, Larry King was one of the best interviewers I've ever ever watched. Well, uh, well, the other thing he did was, uh, which I thought was interesting, uh, he, he would do live television, so he'd have the guests there with him, uh, mm-hmm. or or on a line somewhere, and then people could ring up. So it was almost like talkback radio and television all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now that. We've never done that here in Australia. You know, I I, I tried. I, I got a, a company got me involved. Um, I wanted to do talkback television because I I'd gone I'd done the Hinch program right, which ironically I was in Sydney the other day and uh, and just suddenly somebody put it up that I didn't know. It was January something in 1988. It was the first ever Hinch at Seven program went to air. I uh, saw that. Yes, I saw that. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't cross my mind. And I thought, wow. And back then, um, we were regarded as being, you know, 
obnoxious and raucous and tabloid and whatever, now they look back on Hinch and say, oh, wasn't that serious current affairs? <laughs> Compared to where, where, where it's gone from, from now. But why yeah. haven't we had that? I mean, why doesn't Sky News, for example, uh, do something like Oh, God, that? I'm glad they don't. You know, The best thing that happened to me in my recent career was that Sky sacked me. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been paid very well, extremely well paid to be on Sky doing a Hinch program. And they sacked me, and I'm so thrilled they did because I looked now at the lineup of Rowan Dean, who's a nitwit, and Corey Bernardi, and these extreme right wingers that I, 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 I mean, I, I consider myself a centrist and a bit conservative actually on most things, even though I'm being described on Twitter as a lefty or a greenie, which is not true. Uh, but when I see the lineup that they have, I think, oh God, I'm glad I'm out of this. I just, I, re, I truly am. I just, I couldn't justify my paycheck to myself. Well, the the thing I'd say though is that uh, that being there, you would have provided at least a voice of reason. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. So that's you, that's why, I, which is no, not there, Tony. Now. Tony, that's why I went there. Okay, but will you and I both forget one thing, and I'm glad you raised it. I went there on that premise that I'd give another, I'd give some balance, you know, I'd give a, a voice of reason against the, the Rowan Deans and the, and the Nitwits. But we forget one perfect thing, and it was to my detriment. People who subscribe to Sky, subscribe to Sky. They pay to watch Sky, okay? They pay to have their twisted views reinforced. They don't pay for somebody to have a voice of reason where they throw their shoe at the television. I'm not paying for this. I'm paying to, to be mollified. I'm paying to be supported, not have some idiot tell me I'm wrong. I'm not paying money for somebody like Hinch to tell me I'm a dickhead. Okay? Well, that, uh, that sort of uh, astonishes, astonishes me. And if we're going down that track, then we're going down a very, very difficult and uh, horrible track. Uh-huh. Uh, Mate, I'm telling you, I tell you, you pay to have your views reinforced. You don't pay for Hinch to tell you you're wrong. Yeah. Well, Larry King, 87, a wonderful yeah. career. And uh, by the way, his name wasn't really Larry King. It was Larry it? Zeitler or, or, or something. Really? And he had a very colourful life. He, he was married eight times to seven women. And, 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 they're, and they're all gorgeous. <laughs> Yes, and he wasn't an oil painting himself, so... Uh, yeah, well, I, I, that's where I relate to him, you know, having had many marriages <laughs> and, and not being an oil painting, I think that both Larry King and I have one thing in common. Uh, We've been extremely lucky in our personal lives. Yeah, well, uh, and let me say, uh, you have been, Darren, you've been very, very lucky, and you continue to be uh, to be lucky. Mr Hinch, thank you again for uh, for your time today. Tony, remember one thing, always fight above your weight. <laughs> Well, you've been doing that for years. (laughs) Talk next week. Okay.